For all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders, welcome to the 30-Minute Lockdown, episode 17. We're back in the building, man, on a new day. Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. A little bit of a different uh, day today. We doing this a different day. We're a day late, but we're never a dollar short. Uh, wanted to, but I couldn't let this show get away this week, man. It's, a, it's a definitely a good episode, and I definitely wanted to bring it to you, man, without uh, letting it slip. You know, work out a little bit in the way this week, but we definitely want to bring the show to you, man. Give it a 30-minute lockdown. One of our more highly rated shows on the network, man. Give you news and views of the NBA and NFL sports world in 30 minutes or less, man. And I promise you that this show will not disappoint. We got a lot to talk about here, man. So let's get right into it. So uh, this show is going to start off by playing a quick game called Fair or Foul, right? So uh, we've had some coach firings here in the last week or so, and... um. You know, it's been this been some hot button uh, news here, man. You know, coaches that have been NBA champions in the last three to four years, they've been make DA playoff runs, they've been coaching the year, so on and so forth, and they all been jettisoned from their teams after being eliminated from the playoffs. So we're going to talk about it, and we're going to get into exactly what we feel about these particular coach firings and uh, go through their resume as as the teams they were on just previously. And uh, and decide whether or not it was fair or foul that they were co- they were fired. Um, so first and foremost, as you look up on the screen here, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, Nick Nurse was uh, fired first uh, from Toronto, which again they just won a title in 2019. Doc Rivers was fired. The, uh, he's the latest and most uh, I guess you can say highly uh, touted coach that was fired uh, here recently after the 76ers was eliminated by the, in the playoffs in the semifinals. So, uh, so yeah, man, we got two Eastern Conference coaches being uh, fired, and they were legit, you know, high uh, percent winning percentage coaches, and they were fired. And uh, of course, then Mike Budenholzer from the Bucks was fired. Uh, they were two years removed from a t- title, and Monty Williams. They were two or maybe three years removed from the NBA Finals of all that he lost to the Bucks, ironically, um, but uh, made him two, you know, another two uh, successful playoff runs. Or you know, we call it successful, obviously, because they didn't win the title, but you know, successful seasons. And Monty Williams was fired from the Suns. So um, let's get into exactly how we feel about these. Was it fair or was it foul? And uh, we'll go over the accolades and we'll talk about whether or not they, uh, you know, we think they'll get another job and maybe where. Do some predictions while we're at it. So uh, let's start with Nick Nurse. So Nick Nurse was fired uh, from the from the Raptors, this, uh, I think late April. Um, and uh, he was with the Raptors from 2018 to 2023. Uh, five seasons. He played, uh, he coached for four and seven games. He had a 237 to 170 uh, winning percent, winning record uh, at, a, at, a, at about a 58 uh, per point, 58 points, 52 winning percentage. Uh, like I said, they won a title in 2019. He was a coach of the year in 2020. Uh, so, yeah, man, um, I really think Nick Nurse is a good coach. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what the thought process was for Toronto because it, it gets me. It makes me wonder in regards to when you fire coaches, right? Especially coaches that have been successful. I mean, like I said, four hundred out of four hundred seven games, you won two hundred thirty-seven of them. Wait, you know, you know, you know, tick above five hundred. Um, you know, like I said, they won an NBA title. I think that was the was that the first title that Toronto ever had. And uh, and I really think that Nick Nurse was a really good coach, and a lot of uh, players respected him. Um, so it made me kind of scratch my head about why they uh got rid of him, like why they fired him. I mean, you know, with Kawhi Leonard leaving, I think they still were highly competitive with the roster that he was given. You know, basically, based on, you know, what it boils down to, the hand he was dealt to me, I feel like he did a good job. I mean, he was in the playoffs constantly. You know, I don't think his team missed the playoffs since they won a title. You know, they didn't go far, obviously. But, you know, again, what did he have? You know, he never had a number one person outside, outside of Kawhi when he, after he left in 2019. 
So again, you know, he had a bunch of solid players, but you know, it's never we never had a, a roster. They didn't really, you know, support him as far as getting him players in a sense that would allow for him to uh, you know, flourish and be more uh competitive. So, you know, so my take on this particular situation is, is simple. I think that he it was filed that they fired him. And honestly, I think that was they were one of the more the better coaches that they have. And this again, this go back to what I, issue I have is that if you fire a good coach, now you feel like you know he really can coach and he can get you know the best out of players. You you fire him for what reason? Like you don't you don't get rid of a, a person that does a good job unless you have something body something better or somebody better that's going to come in and do a better job and get you to that next level. And I'm not sure they do they're going to get that. I mean, Toronto's not a you know it's not a touristy place. It's not a sexy place to coach. Let's be honest. And, and the roster is still in, in flux. I mean, they got some players you know uh, that are you know solid, but they're not you know superstars. They have no superstars on this team. You know, I think this team this roster needs a overhaul in a sense they need a couple of more players to add to the solid ones that they have og obinoe and, and and siakam and those guys so i think that you know he did the best he could with this team i really do and i think it was a mistake to fire him so um you know with the coaching jobs is out there now i think that the bucks would be a prime candidate to get nick nurse i think they they should really look hard at getting nick nurse in because i think he can take that bucks team to the next level because what I had, and I won't get into what I had about it. My problem I had with Budenholzer is his in-game adjustments. And I think that Nick Nurse is a very good coach, you know, in-game and a good strategist. So I think that he could be that, that voice and that person that can get them that Bucks team back on track and get them back in the title games. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking for Nick Nurse to go to the Bucks next. So watch out for that. So moving on to Mike Budenholzer, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, rightfully so. Right. Uh, ironically, him and uh, Nick Nurse were hired at the same time and got fired at the same time, right? 2018 to 2023. Spent five seasons in Milwaukee. 382 games. He was 263 and 119. Uh, 68.8 winning percentage. Um, NBA champion in 2021. Uh, you know, and he was fired after uh, exit from in the first round as the one seed in his particular playoffs in 2023. So he was ultimately fired. And to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't. I didn't really think that it was necessarily again, you know, unless you pull in the Nick Nurse or somebody like that. I really wasn't sure this was the right move, but I understood it because I think that you know Boonehost's biggest problem, and I think his biggest, uh, I guess you can say, Achilles' heel in his coaching ability is his ability to adjust in game. You know, and it really is ugly head this, this particular playoffs. Like you didn't adjust at all to what Jimmy Butler was doing to you in each game that he was, you know, uh, amazing in. You know, you didn't double team him. You didn't do anything different. He came in with a game plan. You executed that game plan and you didn't deviate from it. And I think that's, I think that's hamstringing, you know, that's almost handicapping. No, you know, pun, no pun intended. The, the Bucks team This Bucks team is ready to run, ready to run and ready to win. And I think they might need a better, a better, more strategic and on the fly adjustment type coach in order for them to fulfill a, uh, you know, overall potential. Cause they had a really good roster this year. And I, I picked them to go it all the way. And them to get exited in the first round. I understand Giannis got hurt, but still, that team, you know, in certain spaces and certain times when Giannis was wasn't not there, I feel like they still was good enough to win ball games. And the Heat being the AC, barely making the playoffs. I mean, come on, they should be able to get past them guys and, and go on to the next round. And and Budenholzer and this lack of in-game adjustments rid his ugly head, and that's becoming an issue in a in a in a sit in a in a place where he's being exposed. You know, in that in that aspect, he's been outcoached. So, you know, Eric Spolster, you know, dance, you know, circles around him in the, in the first round. So I get it. I get it. So my verdict for this one, you know, I think it was fair. 
I think it was a fair firing. I do believe it was a fair firing. I think that he, uh, you know, has some you know growing to do as a, as a in-game adjustment coach. If he can do that, then I think he can get back on the track of being a, a solid head coach. But until he does that, I don't, I'm not sure, you know, how effective he's going to be because I really feel like there's a ceiling there when it comes to Boonhoser and his coaching ability. Now, if I had to pick a job for him to get, if he's one, he wants to get a new another job, a head coaching gig, it'd probably be a developmental job. And I think the Pistons might be uh, looking at him may, maybe as a possible candidate um, with the young guys they have. And, um, you know, he can kind of build that team back up and build that roster back up. And I think with a lot of picks they have and the young guys they have, he can, you know, start to get that team, you know, playing good basketball. Now, now I still don't think they're going to go far, but I think that he might be a candidate if that. If, if that. But I don't think none of these marquee jobs he's going to get because I think people kind of see what the ceiling is with him at the moment. And unless he changes his ways, it's not it's not looking good for him to be on a contending team uh, going forward, in my opinion. So moving on to Monty Williams. Monty Williams was the Suns were four years, 2019 to 2023. He played, he coached 309 games, a 194 and 115 record, uh, a 62 point six to eight win percentage um coached the year in 2022 uh like i say early in the, in the segment lost in the nba finals in 2021 uh but those two ugly losses in the conference semifinals in the last couple of years was was definitely a, a black eye <laughs> i guess you would call it two black eyes so he was kind of looking like a raccoon a little bit when it comes down to his ability to uh advance his team uh, when they had high hopes uh, you know, in in certain spaces. I mean, they had, you know, a solid roster, you know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mon- DeAndre Ayton, and, you know, at the time, Mikael Bridges before they made the trade for KD last, this year. They had a good roster last year, got beat bad in the, at home, I believe, uh, to the uh, by the Mavericks. And then this year, getting beat uh, handily by the, uh, the Denver Nuggets uh, in, in getting into uh, the uh, in conference semifinals, can be bad again at home in the, in the elimination game. Yeah, I mean, it's a recipe for disaster. I really believe it is because you got a new owner, you know, is and I don't necessarily, you know, subscribe to the narrative that you always, always absolutely positively as a new owner or new GM or somebody like that coming in, you have to have your own guy. Sometimes the guy that's already there works, but I, you know, so that you should, that shouldn't always be a rule, but the the writing on the wall and how they obviously were uh you know not meeting expectations was a was a was a red flag for the new owner so i you know so if i had to give a verdict on this particular one i think i don't think it was fair i think it was foul but i i call it a fair foul verdict because i feel like i don't agree with it i think it was foul but i don't understand i understand where the new owner's coming from and again you know who do you get in his in replacement but, you know, and also some, you know, maybe some issues with him, with players. I think him and Aiden have been at odds for two years. Um, so it might be a locker room issue with Monty as well. He's not getting, you know, the, the voice is not resonating with the players anymore. You know, there's even rumors that Booker and KD went to the owner and told him that they wanted a new coach, which, you know, we can spend a whole episode talking about how, you know, certain players meddle when they should or shouldn't. But, you know, if they did that and Aiden at odds with Aiden, that was all the owner needed to hear governor however you want to label it um from the nba perspective that's all they needed to hear you got uh, three players unhappy though three of your marquee players unhappy and you uh floundered in in a semifinal two years in a row and blow off fashion so yeah so I, I understand it i don't necessarily agree with it but i understand it and if there are truly locker room issues with players and money and their relationships are severed and they're in their they're sour then yeah yeah and i guess he had to go i guess he had to go so if I had to predict somewhere he would go next, I think the 76 might be a good job for him. I think he can really get a, a lot 
more out of Embiid. I'm not sure what Harden and those in the supporting guys are going to do or be at uh, going forward. But I think that, you know, you know, outside of Harden opting out and maybe testing free agency and going somewhere else, I think he can he can do well. He can do well with, you know, b- building a relationship with Embiid and getting that 76 team back on track. So look out for him maybe getting a 76 job. And last but not least, <laughs> the old ball coach there, Doc Rivers. Now, Doc Rivers spent three seasons in, in Philly. Um, he coached 235 games, 153 and 82, 65, 1.1 winning percentage. Um, again, lost in a conference finals three years in a row as as a as a, a head coach. The three years you were there, um, every round, every conference semifinal round, he he lost. Um, you know, it's not much to say here. I think out of all of these uh, coaches that we discussed in this moment, I think the doc was the most obvious choice to be fired. After they after they lost to the Heat, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, the Celtics lost to the Celtics when they were up three two. Um, yeah, I, I really think that uh, yeah, Doc was a little bit over his skis in a sense. Um, and I think it's a little bit too. The Doc's old school, right? And I really feel like Doc doesn't necessarily resonate, or or I guess you can say, can um, he has an inability to relate to the younger guys, young cat, young cats. I think that might be the issue. I think he, he does. I think he needs he need to be coaching in the 2000s. I think the 2010s or the 2020s is 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 a good you know coaching time frame for Doc. I just don't think he he gets he, he gets players. They don't get him and he don't get them. Like you know they don't listen to the same music. They don't they don't you know they don't shoot, shoot at the same baskets. They don't do you know they don't hang it with his, at the same places. You know they don't date the same women. You know it's it's not none none the same about his the new age cats that he's coaching and his old school mentality. So I think that Doc was definitely the most obvious one to be fired, and I really feel like the verdict was fair in this situation. I do believe that was a fair firing. I think I think they had to, they had to do what they had to do. You know, I mean, you can point the finger at it, it Harden being inconsistent and and Bead, you know, uh, having a terrible last couple of games in the series, but. You know, all in all, it, it really fell on Doc. You know, it's just the ability, his inability to get the most he can out of the team and have the same result happen three years in a row that he's been there. It, you know, again, you feel like there's a ceiling there. So you, it's, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. So I would like to so I would look for Monty Williams to sit in his potential for him to be a, a heavy candidate to get the job. I think he might be able to re, re, uh, re, revive himself in Philly. In regards to Doc, I, I don't know. I think he might need to take a break. I mean, unless there's a, there's not many jobs out there in, in, in three or four of them are contending jobs. Uh, I think, like I said, I think the Pistons job is the only job that's available at the moment that's a non-contending team. So I don't think a contending team is going to pick Doc up. I don't think they're going to do it. Uh, I think they've seen the writing on the wall and they know what they're getting. And I think they're going to sign up for that, in honesty. So he might not be coaching right away. I, I think that might, I, mean, I think we might need to wait on that one. I think we might need to wait on that one. But yeah, so that's my take. On it, like I said, I think uh, Doc is an unknown. I think Monty can get the get the seventy sixers job. I think Nick Durst can get the uh, the Bucks job, and um, and potentially maybe Boonehoser gets the Pistons job, maybe. But I'm a little, I'm, I'm on the fence with Boonehoser and Doc. But I do think Monty and, and Nick Nurse get a job. I do think they get a job this coming season. So we'll see. We will see. But yeah, so uh, hopefully, um, you know, these guys land on their feet one way or the other. So moving on, let's talk about JJ Redick real quick. So uh, I'm going to play a quick clip for you that J.J. Uh, Reddick uh, had something very profound to say about John Morant uh, in, uh, a couple of days ago. So let's hear it. Again, we can go into the backstory of the incident with 
uh, the teenager, Jaws, claiming self-defense that the teenager threw the ball in his face. Uh, we can go into the incident at the mall when he yelled at his security guard. We can go into the incident uh, with the uh, Indiana Pacers traveling party. As far as we know, all of these things have been investigated and no law has been broken. I'm not condoning the behavior. I'm not saying there should be no punishment. There should be. There should be consequences. You are the face of the league. You are representing the NBA. You are a role model to young kids. All of that. I don't think half a season is the right answer. And the last point I want to make, because you bring this up, the, the, the guns on social media. Let me talk about consequences. Look, in our country right now, gun culture is pervasive. It's pervasive. We've got mass shooting after mass shooting, and nobody's doing a damn thing about it. So I get why we're so sensitive to this right now. But there's no consequence for Greg Abbott telling his constituents that they should go buy more guns, and then we have mass shooting after mass shooting in Texas. There's no consequence for an elected Tennessee official to send out a Christmas card holding AR-15s with his young family, and then there's a shooting in his very district. There's no consequences to that. So why are we, why are we trying to lay down the hammer on a 23-year-old who didn't break a law? Explain that to me. All right. So, yeah, uh, JJ had a lot to say. Um, I went into check out Sports Talk this week. Um, you know, go back on the channel and check out the Sports Talk episode if you have not already. I had a lot to say about John Morant's uh, newest incident. So I won't rehash everything that I said uh, there here. However, um, this particular, I guess you can call it rant by JJ, uh, brought, you know, something new you know, to the forefront for me about the whole John Morant situation. So, and it's interesting to me that J.J. Reddick was the one, I don't know if you say he was bold enough or or beholding enough to, to bring this uh, up, right? But, you know, in his messaging, I, I don't necessarily agree with the idea. And it almost seems like at the end of this, he was kind of uh, trying to bail Ja out, you know, and not let him, you know, face any accountability for his actions. But I understand his message. I, I do. I, I get what he's saying. I really do get what he's saying. However, however, you ha do have to understand JJ, you know, and maybe this is something that, you know, air quote, uh, obvious to you. Right. But we're dealing with a double standard here and we always have been, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, how things are treated when it comes down to, you know, a person of John Morant's, uh, profession and color versus a politician who, is brandishing guns and Christmas cards that you alluded to, uh, you know, governors and, and, and mayors going out and telling people to buy more guns. You know, it's a di whole different realm, a whole different ball game. We talk in politics versus uh, athletics, right? And again, it's a double standard. Uh, you know, John Moran walking down uh, a, a, a street that's open carry state um, with an AR-15, you know, is cause for concern, right? And he will likely be uh, approached and pressed by law enforcement, but a politician or you know a Caucasian male doing the same thing does not get the same level of scrutiny or the same level of pressure put upon him based upon uh, you know what he looks like and who he is, you know because that Caucasian male is honestly just exercising his rights, but they see John Morant being a African American male as a threat. So that's the issue and that's the problem with this whole situation. So yet again, you know, you get into the idea of 
You know, so basically, I just basically explained to you why there's a difference and why John Moran is going to be held to a different standard and be met with consequences when it comes to this. It's not even just about the fact that he, you know, is a 23-year-old man and he's air quote exercising his right to own a handgun, which is not necessarily, a, you know, a, a breaking the law here, depending on where you're at. But again, we live in two Americas in, this, in certain spaces. And the guys that you reference, they're backed by, you know, the NRA and places like that that tell you, you know, to promote gun selling and gun usage, right? And John Morant is not. The NBA is completely on the opposite side of the fence when it comes to that aspect of it. And they're very sensitive to gun violence in this country. So you can't, because the messaging that the NBA is trying to send is they're against gun violence, against, you know, racial violence, and against things that harm innocent people. So the message that you're sending, you know, as a representative of the league is not something that the league is going to tolerate. I think that's the biggest difference here. So, again, you know, it's definitely something that you have to realize this is an unfortunate reality. The fact that, you know, you are held to a different standard as a as NBA player and the NBA has a stance as, a, as an organization that we don't promote gun violence and Jaws out here brandishing weapons on two different occasions when it comes down to, uh, you know, his actions on Instagram live. So, again, you have to understand the double standard that we're de dealing with, the two Americans we're in, and unfortunate reality that the National Basketball Association does not condone brandishing weapons freely and, and promoting gang behavior. It's just, it's just what it is. And they're, and they're, they're ones that are uh, supporting Jaws' career and, his fi and they're fin financing his, you know, his lifestyle. So you have to, you know, so take a word from Stephen A. You have to capitulate to somebody. And he has to capitulate to the NBA. And the NBA is not, they don't want that type of image of branding in their, by their players. So that's the reason why he's going to be facing consequences. And on top of the fact that he lied to Adam Silver's face, bold face said, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to learn from my mistakes. And he turned right around and did it again. So that's why we have the issue here. So I'm sorry, JJ. I understand where you're going with it, but I think the 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 message is misplaced. Or you're, you're leaving out, Certain part of this is the reason why Jai was going to face punishment, and rightfully so, in my opinion. So, moving on to another topic, real quick. Um, uh, I guess three episodes ago, episode fourteen, I I, I did a segment on Draymond Green. I uh, called him the new To To Two Point Team Obliterator, and I got into the uh, a long segment. You know, I'm not going to again. I'm not going to rehash it here. Um, it's you know in full bloom for you uh, on the channel. Go back and look at episode 14 if you want to get in deep into the weeds about how I basically said that Draymond Green was the reason why the Warriors are having such turmoil in their lives when it comes down to their team and their play and their ultimate uh, elimination from the playoffs. And on cue, Draymond Green had this to say. We're not playing right now because when you speak about the fouling, uh, when you speak about uh, all of the slippage that we had as a team on the road, not being able to come together. None of those things happen if, if that doesn't happen because the voice that I am uh, and the departments that I lead this team in, there was a ton of slippage due to me sitting back, me not saying anything, me trying to allow that situation to play itself out and giving it mm. time to heal. Well, while you're giving it all of that time, guess what? I, and I would say probably by February, I started to feel like myself again to speak more. But guess what? There was five months of a season where slippage has just been occurring. And by February, if that slippage has been going on that long, you are who you are at that point. You've built those habits. You've built bad habits 
that is who you are now. So to try to correct them then, it's like, okay, you may get a little better. We did. We ended up in the second round of the playoffs, but not at a championship level. And there you have it. He he basically confirmed what I had been saying all along. That incident with him and Jordan Poole before the season even got started was the ultimate demise of that of their championship uh, defense. It was because if you look at it, <laughs> who was the who played the worst? That's an integral part of his team in his in, his, in that last series, Jordan Poole. I'm not saying he did it on purpose, but I think the division in this team and his ability to uh, kind of bite his tongue in a sense and not say anything, but still be seething in his, in his own mind, in the back of his mind about what happened to him. And it was nationally publicized. I'm sorry. I'm a man. And yeah, I understand, you know, for the most part, how, how men's functions men, men function and how pride works and no self-respecting man, especially a man in the public eye is going to take kindly to you punching me being punched in front of people and I don't get any retribution from it. And it was publicized nationally. That thing stuck in, in Jordan Poole's mind the whole year. And it, and it divided the team. You know, so going back to the whole incident with Draymond, with Kevin Durant, and ultimately Kevin Durant leaving that team because of him. And then going now, present day, when they were in back into the mix in, in the title hunt, they won one and they could have, you know, gone back and tried to win another one. If they were, you know, in, they were together. Here come Draymond again, ruining life. And he admitted it. He admitted it. So I'm here to tell you that I called it early. I called it early. Draymond said it himself. I said it in the beginning of the season that this is going to come back up. This is going to come back up. And I was seeing chinks in the armor all season long. It just kept kept bubbling over, kept bubbling over. And it came to a, a steaming pot kettle, you know, burn in a sense, where they ultimately kept, fell apart. You know, Clay didn't play well. Draymond may have had one good game. Jordan Poole didn't play well at all in the playoffs. And Steph was was trying to do too much. And all you really had to do was focus in on him in order to stop them in large space. And that's why they got beat, you know, in six games against the Lakers. Point blank. Again, Draymond <laughs> doing too much, ultimately, led to the demise of this team. I was right. That's all I'm going to say. Almost all I'm gonna say. So, like I said, he was he admitted it. Like I said, here's the tweet. He admitted Draymond Green told that he believed that the Warriors would still be playing if he wasn't for the incident between him and Poole. Point Blake period. So hey, we don't know what's gonna become of this team. He has a player option coming this year, and he like I was I like to believe he's gonna opt in. And will they run it back? Will they ever be the same? Do they gotta move Jordan Poole? We don't know. I'm gonna cover off this story, you know, more in the in the near future when things become more clear. But Draymond was the cat was the reason again why he messed up the messed up a good thing. Just saying, just saying. Last quick topic I want to talk about here, and uh, this cat got, got on the docket late. Um, the Lakers are down 0-2 to the uh, Denver Nuggets, and um, and it was discovered that late in the first game that uh, you know DeAndre Russell wasn't giving the team a whole lot. And they had to uh, make some lineup changes, in a sense, you know, for the betterment of the team. I'm going to say that again. For the betterment of the team to put, insert Rui Hachimura in more so and kind of eat up D'Angelo Russell's minutes, right? Because he was he's more of an effective body to guard Jokic, right? Um, you know, we all know that D'Angelo Russell is mainly an offensive guy. He's not really known for a defense, right? So 
you know, he was, you know, he took a lot of minutes up uh, from D'Angelo down the stretch in the, in the game one. Um, was ultimately, you know, Lakers had a shot at winning the game at the end. Um, you know, ultimately didn't cash in, but they had a shot. And D'Angelo Russell was sitting on the bench. So the question came up, you know, was would it be advantageous to start Rui in the game in guarding Jokic, you know, from the from from the jump and maybe benching D'Angelo Russell? So I guess the word got to him, and uh it was widely speculated once he was uh approached with the idea that he wasn't going to take too kindly to it. Now, real quick, D'Angelo Russell is, in two games, He game one, he was 4 of 11, 0 of 3 from 3, 8 points. Minus 25 and plus minus 26 minutes. He was 3 of 8 in from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, 10 points, minus 16 plus minus in 33 minutes in game two. For a grand total of 7 of 19 from the field, 30, shooting 37%, 1 of 8 from 3, 13% and 18 points total, averaging nine points a game. And mind you, we can get into the whole semantics about how, how well Rui played in uh, game two once he was, you know, inserted into the ball game. But my biggest, my bigger issue is, is D'Angelo Russell's selfishness here. I have a big issue with that because, you know, and this is, this rehashes for me why the Lakers had took issue with him when he was with the team before. He's he has certain character issues with him, in my opinion. I think that's a big problem for him. And to tell the team in and when you're in the midst of a title run, you're in a conference title game, one series away from the finals, and you're telling the team that the team fear that they might lose him mentally if he does not start. That's selfish. That's selfish. You know, being in regular season, getting your accolades and getting your touches and getting your looks and getting your minutes in the regular season is one thing. But when it comes down to the playoffs, it has to be about the team. It cannot be just about you. I promise you, if the team, if the Darvin Ham thought it was in the best interest to bring LeBron James off the bench, he would do it because he's about winning. It's not about me. It's about us. And D'Angelo Russell is showing to us in a small microcosm that it's not about the team. It's about him. Because you don't, you can't take your pride, can't take the idea that you have to come off the bench. That's very selfish, very selfish. And let's be honest, you're not lighting it up in in its own right. So your production dictates that you could be benched, you should be benched because you're not giving anything on on this event at all where we need you, and you're not scoring either. So why are we even discussing this? You know, but you but we want to play nice because he we, you feel like you might need him at certain points. But he hadn't given anything in two games. Again, shooting thirty seven percent from the field, one of eight and three. <laughs> Selfish man. And I think that no matter what happens to the Lakers going forward, I think they might really deeply consider moving off from D'Angelo Russell at the end of the season, um, because of his of his uh, selfishness. Honestly, I would I would deeply consider it. And you know he's given us some some nice moments throughout this back end of the season in the playoffs, but in big moments he hasn't really been there. He's been he disappeared. He disappears a lot in, in crucial moments. He had that one you know barrage of threes in, in the semifinals with the Warriors, but outside of that, where has he really been? So I would deeply consider maybe doing something different at the point guard spot. I mean, if I had to choose between paying Austin Reeves and Daniel Russell, I'll pay Austin Reeves. Let's just be real about it. 
Russell. I, I, I got a lot of issues with D'Angelo Russell in this particular situation. I don't I don't like the fact that he's going to pick this time in this moment to be selfish and be all about, I have to start or I can't play. That's real selfish, man. And it's, that speaks to your character, bro. It really does. So, uh, yeah. We, we'll see. We'll deal with D'Angelo Russell at the end of the season. Hopefully, we can turn this series around, but I feel like this Daniel Russell thing is not going away. It's just, it's just, it's just kind of laying in the weeds right now. But I promise you, it'll come back up later. So, we'll see. But that's gonna wrap it up, man, for this week for the thirty minute lockdown, man. I appreciate everybody coming through, man. Like, comment, subscribe if you like this video. As always, check out the previous episodes that you have that reference in this video. So, um, and with next week we'll be back with another video, man. But in the meantime, in between time, I'm your man, Coach Defense. Until next week, step up and lock it down. <laughs>